Welcome to Life Science Today, your source for stories, insights, and trends across the life science industry. I'm your host, Dr. Noah Goodson. This week, the PD-1 that lost, Biopharma earns FDA approval, and the biotech market is cool, not dead. views expressed on Life Science Today are those of the host and guests. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any organizations with which they are affiliated. Two weeks ago, FDA advisors voted 14 to 1 against the approval of the PD-1 slash PD-1L1 oncology immunotherapy scintillamab to treat non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer, NSCLC. Eli Lilly, partnered with the Chinese drug creator Innovent Biologics to bring Centilimab to the U.S. market for this indication. They'd been cognizant of potential challenges around earning a first-line PD-1 FDA approval. Their strategy was to approach the approval by offering data out of a clinical trial from China and saying they were willing to compete pretty heavily on price in a fairly expensive PD-1 inhibitor market. The panel is saying no to this for a number of reasons. First, the study was conducted in mainland China, with a large number of the participants being Chinese men. The panel said, hey, that doesn't really represent the generalized U.S. population with NSCLC. And they're right. They had some real concerns about the selected endpoints as well. The Orient 11 study chose progression-free survival, PFS, as the primary endpoint and overall survival, OS, as a secondary endpoint. These terms may sound similar, but PFS measures how long you're on a treatment before cancer starts to grow, whereas OS measures actual human survival. PFS is a great early stage indicator of potential success, but in general, other oncology immunotherapies have relied on OS. Lilly recognized that perhaps the trial did not have the same strength of data as existing therapies and offered an approval pipeline focused on driving down prices through undercutting sky-high therapy costs. In fact, the one FDA board member who did thumbs up the treatment pointed to cost as a good reason. And by the way, all of this is underpinned by the fact that centilimab does have reasonably good outcomes data published and is approved to treat NSCLC in China. So this is not some random new drug with sketchy data we're talking about. The panel's rejection raises the possibility that Lilly will be forced to complete another phase three trial in the U.S., that brings with it the challenges of gaining a participant population against approved drugs for the same indication. That can make it challenging to complete the study because of barriers to successful recruitment, for example. Two or three more years down the road, they may still lack an approval. If they gain it, they're less likely to want the cost savings approach. Now, there are probably some bridge approaches here using smaller trials, RWD, and second-line treatment approvals, but this presents several core conundrums for our industry. First is the question of inclusion. It's easy to see that the population of China doesn't generalize to the United States. And yet, with the US and EU leading trials for so many years, the reverse conclusion that drugs approved here are probably fine in other places has happened again and again. The FDA is trying to change this in some ways, and the industry is slowly becoming more truly global. This pushback against a trial conducted only in China is part of the push for inclusion. But with extremely expensive options on the market, would things improve if another option were available at a fraction of the cost? 
Do longer, more expensive trials bring better drugs to market or repress the market by limiting options and allowing only the most expensive solutions to emerge? With the U.S. leading the way economically and not pushing for more inclusion for years, it's exciting to see this happening. But I can't help thinking it would be nice if we were doing a better job at it all along. Finally, like all FDA moves that slide conservative, if the votes of the panel result in a full FDA rejection, the decision is likely to have far-reaching consequences. Yes, in the circumstances, it's not a crazy or wildly surprising choice for the panel to thumbs down Centilimap. But expect other risk-adverse organizations to shy away from more cost-efficient trials in emerging regions in favor of more expensive approval routes. This also signals that you can't save a little money on trials and then pass on the savings by undercutting markets. Who doesn't want the very best and most expensive well-tested therapy? But at what cost? The core takeaway here should be that there will not be a change in the status quo around oncology at the FDA something that others have noted in a broader context with the appointment of Robert Califf as FDA commissioner. So, Centilimab is facing an uphill battle for approval. Lilly clearly suspected this was the case based on their strategy, but the process itself is taking a big highlighter pin to the challenges and tensions that currently surround drug approval in the United States. Agios Pharmaceuticals has been granted FDA approval to treat adults with pyruvate kinase deficiency, PKD. The therapy, metapivat, is being sold as pyrukind. This first-approved disease-modifying therapy works to combat the hemolytic anemia caused by PKD. The oral therapy works to directly activate the defective PK enzymes and stop the degradation of red blood cells that is a hallmark of the disease. For those living with PKD, this therapy represents a major opportunity for improved quality of life and decreased transfusions. This is not the end of the line for metapivat. There are ongoing studies across PK deficiency, thalassemia, and sickle cell disease. As Agio's first approval, this is a big move from clinical to commercial stage company with a robust pipeline of potential. While cooled from 2020, the biotech market is not dead yet. Last week, three biotechs announced modest IPOs. TC Biopharm announced the closing of a $17.5 million IPO. The funds will be used to advance pivotal trials from acute myeloid leukemia and a second trial for late-stage treatment for COVID-19 infections. They also have a pipeline of CAR therapies focused on solid tumors, but I doubt this raise will be enough to get these across the line. Unfortunately, the stock dropped more than 40% from its closing cost to just $1.43 a share at recording. Blue Water Vaccines also announced plans to go public and raise $20 million for their universal flu vaccine. Originally priced at $9 a share, Blue Water skyrocketed to over $57 per share at closing Friday, marking a pretty startling growth curve in current markets. Though perhaps excitement will be dampened when U.S. markets reopen Tuesday, this investor enthusiasm for a vaccine maker is pretty shocking. Finally, Maywa International Medical Technologies raised $36 million to increase their capacity to manufacture medical devices through opening a new facility and pursuing new R&D activities. The Chinese-based medical device company has a range of Class 1, 2, and 3 consumables. 
This probably represents a perfect company to go public right now, since their value hangs on the production of consumable on-demand supplies like disposable catheters and not a high-risk pipeline. While initially up, shares settled down to around $8.16 by the end of the week. So there are no crazy $200 million IPOs with billion-dollar valuations, but there are still companies with both risky and stable pipelines entering the market and keeping us on our toes. Thanks for joining me for Life Science Today, your source for stories, insights, and trends across the life science industry. Learn more at lifesciencetodaypodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Once again, I'm Dr. Noah Goodson. I'll see you next week. Thank you.